Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, hello, happy December. And we also welcome back freelance writer, Julian Murdoch. I love how you always say good evening, even like as if we're sitting around a fireplace, even if we're recording in the middle of the day. Because that's how it is. Oh, okay. When you, when you, when you, when you come in, please, listeners, come into the Three Moves Ahead study. Have a seat on this leather <laughs> wingback chair. Exactly. And have a snifter of brandy and join us that's as we discuss strategy. Uh, and finally, we have my uh, PC Games End colleague, Fraser Brown. Hello. It is actually evening for me because I'm a disgusting red coat. <laughs> There we go. This is almost a regular panel at this point, since Fraser's on so often. Yeah, no, I think I think Fraser's like a regular at this point. I think I introduced him that way the other week. So here so, we have. No, it's so we, have, we have a regular panel now. Look at that. It. Yeah, we we press gang to Scott into uh, into doing our bit. bit. <laughs> uh, so anyway, a, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Slytherin's new war game, Pike and Shot. Uh, with with our friend Bruce Garrick, and we got sidetracked into a discussion about the role of generals in that kind of warfare. And Bruce that felt that ignoring contemporary command and control uh, was an important omission from Pike and Shot. While I felt like generals are often given exaggerated and even cartoonish roles in most war games and strategy games. So I, I think where I'd like to begin this discussion is about the most common representation of the commander in war games, and that is as a stats modifier with a kind of paladin's aura casting its holy light upon the troops nearby. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what, what I would call the advanced squad leader model. <laughs> right, but yeah, that might be an exaggeration, but that, that's how it works in everything from, like, yeah, ASL to Ultimate General Gettysburg, Total War. Uh, so my question to you, to, to you all is is this. When you take that model, when you take the the commander as paladin or a caster, uh, what's being abstracted there? And do you, do you think that's a do you think that's a good way at getting at what a ranking officer's role is on the battlefield? It's it's I find it kind of a bit strange. I I completely understand why it works in terms of gameplay as a mechanic. Like if you look at Company of Heroes, where the the commanders are basically special abilities. Uh, they have like their artillery strikes, or they can drop paratroopers down, um, and it, it means that you can just fire off these these cool powers, um, and they're fun to play with. You can upgrade them, but it doesn't feel like they're commanders. They're not actually commanding the troops. They're not making any meaningful decisions, and you're not. Let's say you're not really role playing as a commander. You're more like the god of war, really. Um, and I kind of feel like it, it's. The commanders and generals feel more believable in games that aren't really war games. Uh, Distant World Universe, for instance, which I've been having a lot of fun with this year, uh, makes me feel like a real general. The way you can um, automate almost the entire game. And so yeah. It's a 4X game, so there's trading and colonization and whatnot. You can completely automate all of that and just focus on warfare. And it means that you're reacting to these, not necessarily random events, but events outside of your control. So you might have to change the way you're, you're fighting a war because uh, a trade mm -hmm. deal that you've had nothing to do with has just gone sour. So that money that you needed to upgrade your absurd Death Star Armada is no longer in the bank account, and you have to field some low-tier bombers and try and deal with the war that way. 
and it's it creates these kind of meaningful decisions and interactions uh, because generals are not the leaders of a nation they do not have like ultimate power they are reactive they they're basically it's a job and they have to deal with a lot of bullshit that's that's something that that I think is is part of the issue is when you're talking about like commanders at any level like there's always there's always this question of the the player should have ultimate power but then you're left with what is the role of you have commanders of different ability well, right I, I I let me let me challenge that right so I I think one of the things that we're wrestling with is the fact that we're supposed to be the generals right I mean to some extent modeling the sort of lower level commanders on the field. Um, it feels a little bit awkward because we feel like we should be able to control everything, right? We should be the ones role-playing. I mean, you said it. We're, we're role-playing the commander, role-playing the general. And and I think that's the problem that we're wrestling with is what we're trying to do is actually abstract that middle layer of management over the battlefield. Uh, you know, when you're playing and, and and that's why we end up with, you know, these sort of aura effects or, you know, I mean, I, I like your example of the, you know, sort of specialist role that that doesn't really feel like you're playing a general. It feels like you're playing an engineer, right? I mean, just or the guy who happens to have the radio. Um, and so I think this is is somewhat of an intractable problem in direct war games because we're supposed to be the generals in those direct war games where I find um, the more satisfying kinds of storytelling that you'd want out of a real leadership system happening are in games that aren't really strictly war games. Um, so to some extent, even something like War of the Ring on the tabletop, uh, you know, there is a leadership mechanic, which just sort of gives you rerolls, which is kind of a throwaway mechanic. But the card play actually rewards you for getting the right person in the right time. And then cool stuff happens on there on its own because you've got the right leader in the right place. And that's, I think what I would like more of is that chance to have those real storytelling opportunities. I don't, know, I don't think we're going to distract the discussion too much and just do a larger, um, just general game design stuff. Because of course, I mean, the, the per the player is the one in control and the rules are about, Giving the player opportunities, and and I like Fraser's example of distant worlds. Though that's a, a virtual viceroy design issue. So that's not designing generalship or leadership. That's saying this is I want to focus on. My virtual viceroys will take care of this other stuff because I care about the war. And occasionally the governors will screw up, and I need to do things. That's not modeling generalship. That's you being the general. That's not a game design. That's not designing generalship. That is having the player take complete control over one aspect of the game. That's not modeling that. I mean, you could take one, for example, you could take complete control of the trade system in that. You could just leave the war up to the idiot AI. You um, could even just control and, one ship. I mean, that's actually yeah, something that's yeah, like recommended. Just play as a scout really ship. A fine, it's really a fine-tuned system. So oh, that's yeah. really a, it's one that I can't quite figure out half the time. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, but as far as, you know, the issue of, I mean, what I guess what does leadership mean in the game? What are model the effects of leadership? I mean, War of the Rings interesting because you do have leadership effects. You do have, you know, one person is good in a specific space, and but you if you never get to use that, is it still a leader? I guess if you never get to use that ability, you have I don't know Aragorn in the wrong. He's on a marsh when he should be somewhere else. I guess. I mean, <laughs> is, is that right. is that still modeling leadership or is that just? 
you know, the luck of the cards didn't come up. The draw didn't come up right. So you don't get to use your special ability. But, but that actually, I actually find that a little bit more right. satisfying than having my nine one, you know, nine minus right. one leader in my stack in Over ASL, where it's just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just that that seems completely unsatisfying to me. To and that's really the classic chip based Absolutely, war yeah. game of doing it is there's a morale system and different leaders have different impacts on your die roll, which just it feels so. I don't know. It feels cheesy. It doesn't. It feels like you've given up almost. Well, like it, it's trying to get at, and I think maybe it's it starts with a sort of idealized. Um, okay, so let's take the movie The Longest Day, right? Because I think this is an okay place to start because a lot of those chip based war games come out of post war, like you know John Wayne war movies, like they're kind of deriving from this kind of like worship of World War Two. I, I, I think just there's, historically that there's one guy who gives the speech at just the right time to keep you fighting. <laughs> right, well, yeah, yeah, you look at the exactly. longest day, like they're on Omaha Beach and the general just strides up there through the waves and he's like, "Come on, Rangers, lead the way!" And suddenly everyone's like, "Yeah, I better get off my ass and finally like storm these." Fortifications. Until this general was here, I was going to stay here and get shot. That's um, called the shit the boss is watching effect. <laughs> right, but I, I think that's that's kind <laughs> of how this this model like comes about in some ways. Right, is like okay, well the 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 men are just these kind of like. Um, the men must be led. The men must be governed because they won't do anything by themselves. So you need some sort of officer. It's kind of this 19th century ideal. You need some kind of officer to take these like mindless groundlings and get them to do something useful. I think there is a really kind of a very thin line, though, between uh, leading the troops and ordering the troops. And I feel it's that, that that's what we end up mostly doing is ordering them. Uh, we're telling them to go there. We're telling them to shoot there. We're telling them to go in cover there. And it, it doesn't feel like we're really being generals. There's not that personal interaction. It is, it is just telling them to do things. Well, th this is this is kind of the 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 crux of the issue because like. What I'm mostly interested here is like how we represent commanders on the battlefield who aren't the player, mm -hmm. because we we because you're always because this is what you're trying to deal with is the player still has to be in charge. The player still has to be not yeah not the general but like the god general. But then these war games have to acknowledge the existence of officers of varying quality on the battlefield, um, and then give them some sort of effect. This still not going to make the feel player like, make the player feel like he's getting screwed. Like, like if you're making a real if you're making a super realistic civil war game, and you know you only get a, like your 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 commander is McClellan, you get no activations per turn. Ever. <laughs> he just sits there and does nothing, and that that's not going to be fun. But you're still le you're still left with the, the this case of like okay what do what do these commanders then mean? Because um, you want them there to give like historical flavor and maybe model things about warfare, but you still have to be the one in charge giving the orders. And so like what does like how how does game handle the existence of these officers who? have some role to play, but not actually giving orders, because that's the player's job. See, I, I know you're going to be very frustrated with me, Rob, bringing this up, but I'm going to bring up Rome 2. Um, because I think there are... I see the eyebrow being raised. Uh, I think there are some elements of, of, of generals and commanders in, in Rome 2 that are, is just really interesting. Uh, for instance, like your generals will grow and gain traits uh, through activities that are not necessarily all related to war. For instance, 
if you position a general, you know, say you're playing as as uh, the Romans, and you position put a put a general in a in a Greek colony or something like that, and that general starts really loving the Greeks, he will get a trait that that represents his affinity to these uh, to these foreigners, uh, and that will affect how he he governs them or, or rules over them, and it makes them feel more like individuals. They're not you. They're separate from you, the player. Um, but they get these little quirks that make them feel like real people. Um, and it changes the way you might use them in the game. But even in the battlefield, the Total War games have mm-hmm. always had... Um, I mean, Rome 2, there are different types of generals. We have different types of abilities. Then on top of that, you add their traits, where they're better against certain enemies. They get, or like, flanking bonuses and things like but that. They, they, plus the general typical Total War general powers, which are super-powered over super-unit. Um, the paladin with the aura, there's better morale around them. And also, if they die, your guys, you know, will run for the hills. Uh, so they're really crucial elements, um, and they are really the focus of all the Total War games, is building up and nurturing these generals into leaders who are you know, a combination of traits, and to go back to Julian's comment, in the right place at the right time. Having a guy that is great against Carthaginians fighting against Gauls may not be the best use of his talents. Um, but you're not at war with Carthage right now. So do you start a war so you can get a lot of progress, or what? Yeah, the idea of, a lot of times, the the commander's most visible effect is when the commander's killed. In in a lot of a lot of games like this, right? Like in Total War, the commander is almost like the flag. You know, like if you capture if you capture the flag, if you kill the enemy commander, that army just completely collapses. Which again reinforces this idea that the general is like this guiding spirit of the army, and once he is gone, um, you know, it's like an ant colony deprived of their queen or something. The entire thing just like falls the hell apart. Mm. Uh, so th- you know, that's that's the way those games tend to handle that. Uh, now, I think in Advanced Squad Leader, they do some interesting things, um, which is they try to get at the differences between the armies um, and their relationship with officers. Like, I want to say... Sure, sure. I mean, I think it's like, I can't remember who it is, but there's actually a class of leaders that are actually bad to have with you. There's some actual positive die modifier leaders in some of the scenarios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um that's that's another interesting thing is crappy officers uh, because like if you look at Ultimate General Gettysburg, I think all generals are equal. They all cast an aura and they all give boost to their troops. But like there aren't there aren't a ton of games that really deal with um, when you're when you're dealing with really terrible officers when you're when you're dealing with guys who should not be in charge. Um, yeah, ASL I think has a couple. Although. The, the the great battles of history games uh, sometimes I mean playing the Persians against Alexander um, each each general has a certain number of activations and a lot of the satraps they get like two activations and you can only activate within your radius so if you've got to move your stupid satrap and he's commanding like five thousand cavalry and he's got two activations moving him is an activation uh, so this entire line of imposing troops is. It's, it's badly commanded. It's badly led. There's not a lot of motivation. Meanwhile, Alexander, he's got eight orders, plus he can trump. You know, he can intervene in somebody else's and interrupt the turns. Um, there are all of these. So there's another game that has 
historically bad leaders and then models uh, the bad leadership to, you know, kind of force the outcome of the battle, the proper right. outcome. Otherwise, you know, Galgamel is just going to be a complete stampede if you give average leaders to the Persians. Right. Can they and, improve? And, like, can they get no, better it, it, through experience? Because I kind of feel that, that if it, you've it, got it, it, bad it is, leaders it, 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 and they can never be anything other than that, I think that it's maybe not very much fun. The, the, these are strict war game scenarios. They're, yeah. they're, it's, not an, it's not an evolutionary campaign. One, one it's not battle. an evolutionary campaign. So uh, You were saying, Julian. I, I was going to say that this brought to mind, actually, We the People, which is one of mm -hmm. my favorite sort of super light path-based war games. Um, you know, that that game, I, it has a very simple mechanic. Your, your, your leaders basically can do two things. They help you in combat or the number on the leader helps determine what, how many cards you can play. Basically, you can only play a card if the card has a number higher than your leader. So, you know, Washington has a one, so you can play any card with him and some of your other guys, uh, you know, like Lincoln or whatever have two. Um, so they're just less useful. And, and I sort of like that because it gave you this opportunity to have these sort of differences where you get, uh, somebody like a Burgoyne who is just, you know, incompetent as a British leader, but then you get somebody else who shows up who, you know, maybe strategically interesting. He gives you a lot of options on the battlefield, but he's not giving you very much in terms of combat. And so I like it when there's that opportunity to have those differences. But when it's outside of that strategic context, like you're saying, Troy, where you're really trying to mimic a situation on the ground, I'm not sure it works. I think that leadership almost always works better when we're dealing with the specific rather than the abstract, because if it's abstract, then I just feel like leadership is another resource I'm pushing around the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to talk a, a little bit about phrase you brought up. You don't think it's very much fun because uh, kind of when you're stuck with, with bad leaders, but I think it does get interesting uh, when, when you're, when you're sort of forced to work with these oddball teams of commanders. Like I've never played we, the people that sounds kind of interesting having to sort of choose what you prioritize in the commanders you're going to put out there. Um, but what, what I've always found interesting and like games like total war never really commit to this like in total war if you have a bad general you just rotate that guy off the line he never commands again like he, he like he will give a, a a negative modifier to morale he's a bad leader but then you just never put him in charge of anything you just put him off in a quiet corner and he can screw up you know you can screw up some backwater colony for you for all you care um but if you look at like military history, like it's just it, it's littered with a lot more mediocre and bad commanders than good ones, uh, and it's interesting to me to, to to see like when games start to tackle that notion that uh, you you can have commanders who are good at one thing but maybe not good at some other important things, or where the commander is not just a a, a net bonus, uh, but but can be a little more of an ambivalent figure. I think one system that's really interesting is uh, in the age odd games. Uh, so things like Rise of Prussia and um, Aliak Dest, yeah, and the Blue and the Gray, uh, that all, that entire series. One of the things they get at is the fact that because you know the history, you know who the good commanders are. You can look at your whole roster of commanders and be like, oh, there's there's Grant and there's Sherman. Right at the start of war, uh, right at the start of the Civil War, you can be like. Hey, Grant and Sherman, those guys should really be in charge. But there is a military pecking order that has to be respected. You're kind of you're kind of handcuffed to this idea of seniority. And you almost have to let your you know, your brass hats fail 
before they fall enough down in, in stature and reputation, while the good guys sort of bubble their way up. Uh, which which I've always thought is a really interesting way to to handle it because that is so often how like military bureaucracy uh, ends up functioning in a, in a lot of wars right where you know the the first the the you know the the uh, gray eminences have have their say that you know they're, they're the ones who should be in charge and it's only later as things get a little tougher and these guys fail out that the actual like cream of the crop begin rising to the surface. You can see some of that design. I don't want to shill our names too much, but you can tell, see some of that design in March of the Eagles, which Age Odd started with. How Austria has generals, you pretty much have to, they're, they're awful, but because they're senior, they can command more soldiers. The other guys don't have promotions yet. And because learning military technology is based on losing battles to the French, and March of the Eagles. It's kind of okay to have these crappy Austrian guys, you know, lose to the French, be demoted, uh, and then eventually the better generals will come up with the new technology. And you can see that is an Ajod original concept that when Paradox adopted the game, they kept. I think there's a, a, a difference in what makes a satisfying system for generals and commanders, depending on, on if you're just playing these... Um, isolated scenarios compared to when you're playing a campaign where there's a, a sense of permanence because um, I think that's really what I meant when I said it's not much fun to, to have like a general who's just crap it, I, I think there are definitely situations where that can be fun it can be a little bit more challenging and it can you know it can force you to adopt different uh, tactics and strategies but I think when you have a campaign and you're seeing progress I feel that generals and commanders should also progress. They should be able to not necessarily gain experience points, but gain some sort of experience from the battles they've had. Um, sometimes that might be a, a negative thing um, or a positive thing, but it's just to see these generals grow. Because when it comes down to it, they're, they're people, aren't they? And I kind of feel that a lot of games don't really paint them as people. It, is, it comes back to what we were saying at the beginning, where they are just some numbers or some superpowers. I'd like to see them be more like actual individuals, uh, like a, a sum total of their experiences in the game. I'm fine with math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm of two minds. Like, I actually, because I tend to just enjoy systems that kind of throw curveballs at you so i kind of enjoy a system where i i do like like seeing a general level up and get new abilities to to use on the battlefield and and stuff like that but at the same time i do enjoy the constraint of not every like not every general not every officer out there is going to be a winner and i like the idea that you know some of the quirks that you have to deal with is the fact that you might just be saddled with people who shouldn't be in charge but for whatever reason uh kind of are um you know, certainly, like, you know, numerous battles didn't make a lot of um, Union generals any better and, or any more competent. Right. And a lot of times they end up getting promoted to places they shouldn't. I kind of enjoy the the, 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 the twist of, okay, well, some of these guys are going to be good. And then some guys, you just, you're, this is where you're going to decide. They're, they're unteachable. That's a weakness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, and you just have to command around that. You know, I've, I've been sitting here a little quiet, racking my brains for examples where I thought this sort of the generative idea of leadership, like where you actually have generals evolving and changing based mm -hmm. on their battlefield experience and stuff. And oddly, the one that I keep coming back to isn't really a strategy game or a war game at all. At all. It's um, Shadows Over Mordor. 
which is a you know recently released i guess action rpg oh yeah and it's not that your side does any of this but the the nemesis system the guys you're fighting against they really do change and learn right you know if you if you scare one off with fire well he gets more afraid of fire or he can get toughened up to it and and you know he he has actual traits that change over the course of the game based on his particular successes and failures until you ultimately kill them which is the whole point um, but they, they do go up in ranks and there's a whole system of leadership, uh, trial amongst the bad guys, uh, to determine who rises to the top. And that's really the, by far the most uh. interesting part of that game, but it's also the most interesting exploration of leadership and trial by fire that I think I've seen in any game. It's a very elegant system. Uh, at first yeah. it seems when you, when you, because really what it is, is they're, they're changing based on how you interact with them. And you can kind of game the system where you're like branding Uruks and, and making them like your secret allies and things like that. And you're helping them out, helping them grow and evolve so they can become war chiefs. But I mean, as you say, it, it's not a strategy game, but that system is very tactical. And, and, but, but and wouldn't it be great to, to bolt that on to even just a board game? I mean, that kind yeah, of... Yeah, you can see it adapted in some really fascinating ways, too. Like, if suddenly, like, because you beat this one general using this kind of strategy or something, oh, well, now he gets a bonus against, like, mass artillery or something. Like, he's just better at... Posi- that'd, be, that'd be an interesting thing to have, like... Where where you get the, where you get that thing that the Ajot system is is going for where like the good commanders are rising, but you also get a little bit of what Troy was talking about in March of the Eagles, which is like the army's collective memory begins to change and grow as it gains experience. That would be that'd be an interesting system to see adapted. And it throws personality into the mix as well. Each of the the encounters I had with like Uruk captains and and, and the more encounters I had with them, the, the more they felt like real people. And there were stories there. I mean, I I, um, I didn't uh, review it for PC Games End, but I did write um, a kind of uh, an anecdote about uh, I cannot remember his name. I think it was Grublik the Black. Who, who basically started off just as a lowly captain who actually interfered with one of my battles and, uh, and was able to defeat me. And over the course of the game, he continued to grow in power, and every time we fought, he would win. And uh, it, it just became this thing where we were constantly hunting each other down. And it makes um, you grind your teeth, right? Which it is does. a great feeling. Yeah. It is. It's, I've, I felt really frustrated, but I would not stop. I, w- I was obsessed with it. To, and, and when I eventually did uh, kill him for, for good, actually decapitated him, I realized I felt really bad and I missed him. Um, and, it, and so the article actually became like a eulogy for him because I realized so that he'd awesome. become like my friend rather than my enemy. Um, and these sorts of stories, they, they exist because of this, this peculiar nemesis system. And I would love to see it not just bolted onto strategy games, but a lot of other things as well. It's one of the most fascinating systems to have come out in any game this year, I think. Um, and it's weird. Fraser, you're training dangerously close to fan fiction territory. I'm just warning <laughs> you right there. I realized he had become a friend. It was when I wrote it. I was like, "Yeah, this is definitely fan fiction. <laughs> I could write Shadow of Mordor fan fiction. I'd be happy to do it." <laughs> I, I, you know, that, that issue of personality, I think, is an important one because maybe the thing I was getting hung up on when you're we talking about Pike and Shot is that that idea of the commander as aura. Um, just kind of grates at me because, like, a lot of times when I think commander on the battlefield, like, my default 
thinking is the Civil War, just because I've seen, I've played it so many times, right? Like we've played Gettysburg so many times, so we know what it means when, like, you know, General Reynolds rides up, to, rides up to Seminary Ridge and stands with the Iron Brigade. You, we know what it means. We got Meade there holding uh, Cemetery Ridge on the third day. Uh, we have an idea of what that should mean, but but I think also there there is this sense, like a lot of great generals are larger than life figures. The ones we remember aren't just names. They aren't just the people who've just filled a role. He was in charge of this army. But but they have this this idea of personality that feels like should come through. And I think the way like a, a game like um War of the Ring tries to get it across is in certain situations, Aragorn, if you've got the right card in hand, and you will you will keep it in hand if you know you're gonna have Aragorn commanding an army. But in the right situation, you know, Aragorn's going to do something really Aragornish um in battle. <laughs> And that's going to like totally like live up to the fiction of like Aragorn's commanding this army, and it feels to me like a lot of times I don't just want like, you know, I, like I I want Stonewall Jackson to somehow be like fanatically brave, weirdly inspiring, charismatic. I somehow want that to come through in a game, just like I kind of want like a crappy Union general to be kind of this unfit yokel uh, just pushing guys around leading them to the slaughter. And that's kind of what I end up wanting is I don't want a generic general but I want, I want I'm always like hoping that the game will somehow communicate something about the historical character we remember. This is where you get to the problem of the player as the god figure, right? Because if you can always overrule you know Burnside tripping over his own feet, you know, and say, I'm sorry, you're going up that ridge whether you like it or not, uh, then all of a sudden he's not Burnside anymore. And, you know, if you don't want Jackson riding getting his head shot off, you'll pull him back because he's too important. Um, you'll want to conserve him for the next battle. So you lose a bit of that. This is where you have to have the player, it's, I mean, it's, no, Napoleon's on the board, but I'm not a Napoleon. I am something else. Right. And once Napoleon starts being Napoleon, then I'm not in charge anymore because there's a better general down there. I just but, do whatever the hell he that, says. That's the whole point of why we love that's playing historical war games is we like yeah. to like to retry things, right? You know. Yeah. That's why. That's the reason why you know Pickett's charge is like the most you know overdone thing in Civil War is because everybody always wants to see. Well, maybe if we just tried it this way, you know. <laughs> Maybe maybe I can do it. Maybe I'm brave enough and strong exactly. enough to maybe get through. Maybe if we just went south cannons. first or whatever, and everybody has their idea. I think, I think look over there, a squirrel, and then we charge. Being in charge, though, I doesn't. I don't think it necessarily means having complete control of everything. There's no like well, sure. you know. I I think that some of the I think most. The question is, is 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 what is the player though in these types of war game type things, <laughs> not larger strategic games. In a war game situation, who is the player if he's not pushing the units around? Yeah. Because you can, it, I, I guess, if, if they are just kind of doing their own thing, you're, it's more like you're just really nudging them and hoping they'll they'll do what you say. But well, I, there there there, well, there there are ways of doing this, I and mean, this is you know is that you can have units refuse orders, and we see this in some games. You can see this in the Scourge of War games, where orders don't arrive or they're refused. Uh, Plus, Osprey, combat units straight up just reject suicidal orders. Yeah, um, the. Or, uh, Osprey's new terrible civil war game, Battle Plan Civil War, 
units can refuse orders and do. You just get one general, and it's kind of important because all the orders are sent out by couriers. So you don't want him too far away from anyone, but he has to be close to where the Schwerpunkt is, so the orders will get there fast, but units can ignore orders. So you can have these sorts of personality traits built into some leaders. Some can be impetuous, and they won't li- and they can charge forward and won't listen. Um, so that's one way you can do it. Um, Europa Universalist Rome uh, had some fun with that, I think. Um, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of civil wars going on and, and generals kind of getting a lot of power and then basically just becoming completely independent uh, and you having to, as a leader, react to that or try and kind of, you're, it's almost like you're trying to, you know, be their friend, give them things and kind of give in to their demands because you know if, if, if you don't, then they might just split off and take, like, you know, half of your state uh, with them. Um, and that's and nice. People, it creates a sort of tension. And then people planning for the next civil war. Oh, I have some free soldiers for you to win that civil war. <laughs> but but you have to understand they're loyal to me. So, okay, that's, great. That's an interesting feature of games that sort of straddle that um, war game strategic divide. You get the idea of the general as a political threat, a growing political threat, where like in, the, in Shogun, for instance, mm. uh, does this quite effectively. You know, a general might start incredibly loyal, but once he's become like the greatest soldier of his generation and, you know, has notched dozens of victories, uh, you know, under his, on his belt and all in the name of, 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 your, of his daimyo, uh, there's a very good chance, uh, perhaps even inevit- inevitability, that on some level he will begin thinking, did I do this all for someone else or should I be the one in charge? And that's an interesting tension that, that can develop in, in games like that. The idea that the, that the commander, once he becomes too great a commander, becomes an existential threat to the ruler. Um, I think uh, Rome 2 did not do that very successfully. <laughs> <laughs> the, the politics system, uh, which is still, I mean, because I've, I've said on the show a few times, I think it's improved a great deal since launch. The Emperor Edition, I would recommend to any sort of fan of, of Total War. But the politics system is still just tripe. <laughs> it's, it's not fun, and it doesn't make generals feel any more lifelike, or, uh, and doesn't really add any tension. Well, maybe uh, Europa Universalis Rome 2 uh, will we'll finally address those issues. Uh, <laughs> I wish people it... would stop teasing me with that. Every time oh I would, it's like, yeah. I keep hearing us no, coming. No, Sh- Shams, Shams Rajani is the, the absolute worst. <laughs> uh, I think we can all agree on that. Um, I can say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so one thing that... Um, an example of some commanders with personality uh, would be the, uh, the Battles of Westeros system. Uh, which is, I think, derived from battle lore. Uh, the, the, so it's it's um, oh god, what's his what's his name, Julian? The designer, the uh, uh, uh um, ugh. memoir forty four. Yeah, um, man, colors. Okay, well, it's Bar- terrible. Berg. Yes. Bar- Berg or Borg. Richard. Yeah, he, Richard Borg. Yeah, and then he went on to do battle lore and. Uh, and that sort of formed the skeleton of the uh, Battles of Westeros system, I believe. Uh, but in Battles of, uh, Battles of Westeros, what what gets interesting there is um, commanders have each commander comes with sort of a deck of command cards, and that forms your the the deck that you'll have to get you through the battle. 
And so you can just kind of go and you can go with this I go you go system where there's just a limited number of activations per turn. Uh, or what commanders can do is give you special abilities, and each one is sort of tailored to. And Battles of Westeros is a great example because we all have a good idea from reading like the Game of Thrones novels or watching the show, kind of who these characters are and, and what they're about. And so that little deck of command cards becomes a way to express what that general can do. And that in turn affects like how your army maneuvers, for instance. Like if you have a, a really sort of dashing cavalry commander or something, you can get a ton of simultaneous activations. So you can actually execute these like sweeping flank charges or you'll get like some huge shock bonuses to attacks so that you know when you know when the when the Lannister cavalry charges it feels like the Lannister cavalry is just like shattering uh you know the enemy line which I, I think is an interesting an interesting way of handling it and it's not a system I've seen too much in I don't think it's a system I've seen too much in historical wargaming this idea that certain commanders can can do special things usually uh, it seems like in historical wargaming you get more of a uh, commander gives you varying levels of bonus but it's an interesting idea in battles of westeros where different commanders basically have entirely different effects on the way your army functions yeah i can't think of any other games where that's quite that dramatic yeah well it's there aren't that many games that have experimented too much with this uh, usually they, they sort of settle for the aura thing. Uh, something about squad leader, the different armies, wh what that game ends up trying to do is has different relationships with the leaders, right? Like, aren't the Germans a little more dependent on having good officers? Yeah, there are, there are definitely uh, sort of faction-specific leadership rules, which actually is is where I think ASL jumps the shark for a lot of people is because it starts getting, you know, you start worrying about the fact that your fins can't keep tank treads on and things like that. You know, <laughs> it just gets, it gets so narrow that um, it becomes historically interesting because you actually learn a lot about the order of battle for a lot of these different sort of small groups. It's not even countries. It's narrow, narrow sets of, you know, battalion, it is battalion specific, right? This rule for this particular force. Um, and I think that that actually goes too far. Um, but there is a lot of that modeling there that goes on. It becomes sort of a toolkit for modeling different scenarios when you're allowed to just make up a rule every time. Um, so, so I'm not sure I call that a system as much as, a, you know, if you and I sat down to play uh, a game of chess and said, well, uh, you know, we're going to pretend that we're modeling this particular beach assault and my commander is very good at that. So I'm going to get to move my rook an extra space every turn or something like that. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just sort of silly, in my opinion, as much as I love ASL, which I do. Yeah, it's I suppose that's sort of the the that's the example of sort of giving that where personality goes a little too far. Right. Where you begin impinging on the player's ability just to to do stuff yeah. and and play normally because you're basically trying to sort of rig the results now so you kind of reproduce what happened historically and that's that's always this tension right like i mean you want the union army to be a little worse than the confederate army but you don't want it to be like hopeless you want you want them to have a you want them to have a fair chance and yeah it, i i it it does seem especially like in later ASL scenarios that eventually they begin layering on so many special special rules for special circumstances that um, it, it it can feel at times like you're you're playing a bit of a rigged game. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think that's true in, you know, I think anytime you're really trying to make things historical, I mean, I can't think of how many of those little chip games I used to get in, God, what magazine is it that used to ship you the chip-based game every issue? I subscribe to it Is it just the general? Strategy and Tactics. Strategy and Tactics, thank you. Strategy and Tactics, I played so many of those little historical simulations where effectively they just became a solitaire game of of watching what unfolded because the leadership rules were so baked in. And and to me, that's just not that interesting at that point. Do you think that's maybe why we haven't seen so much experimentation with generals? Like the, the, this tension we, we identified early, which is the, the player should be in charge, but then where do officers fit in? Do you think that's why we don't see so much like experimentation or playing around with the way in-game commanders work? I think I think it's it's the fact that so many of these games get tied into historical settings and then you sort of get locked in. Um, and while that can be great for the storytelling part, and sort of I'm, I'm sort of contradicting what I was saying earlier about how much I liked being able to have Gandalf show up in Fangorn at the right moment and all that kind of stuff. But as far as creating interesting strategic situations for me as a player... Um, I think it's really hard to do that if you've got known territory, right? So, I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that in, uh, you know, a great sort of space strategy game or something like that, you could take something like the Shadow of Mordor system, apply it to your own armies, and that could be really interesting. Because for historical stuff, you're basically either you've got the, the generals have no personality and they are just stats that kind of maybe loosely represent what they were like in the uh, in reality, or you've... You've, you've basically sh- kind of forced them into this kind of uh, historical mold and you're completely limited with what you can do with them. Uh, it doesn't have that sort of freedom that you've got with, with fantasy and, and, and stuff like that. But, again, right. but even right. if, if you're using like a known uh, fantasy franchise, like, you know, you're mentioning uh, like Lord of the Rings and things like that, I think there's still the same limitations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because we're absolutely. all so incredibly familiar with these characters. So yeah, it, it, exactly. It's really no different, right? Aragorn's really no different than, uh, you know, Washington. Exactly. And so I think it's 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 maybe easier to do when you've got like a a new franchise, a new series that's just kind of plucked out of someone's imagination. Then we don't have a clue who these characters are, and we learn about them by playing as them or with them. Yeah, if Pippin suddenly turns into Napoleon or something, <laughs> then, then we've got a big big problem here. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be seeing him leading armies. So <laughs> yeah. I think maybe another reason we don't see maybe so much of this in PC games as well is a point Bruce brought up with Pike and Shot is that uh, a lot of times the generals play a key role in command and control of armies. And so, like, board games have tons of activation rules and, you know, various things put in place to, to model the limitations of of commanding an army in the field. Uh, but in, in PC games, the... the I, I would say in PC games, the... Um, the conceit is usually much more direct, where you just sort of you put your mouse over there, point your soldiers over there, and they follow. And it's it's I, I don't feel like we see nearly as many games playing around with the idea that the army itself is this unwieldy thing that maybe doesn't always move at all. So you're actually, you mean so you're actually needing these these generals because without them these these, these armies would just kind of scatter. Yeah, or, or or more likely be inert, mm. right? Because that's kind of one of the big issues of pretty much every every kind of warfare. What would you say, like up until World War II, Troy? Where yeah. you, you kind of have to fight the army's inertia because you put them in position. But then how do you tell the cavalry, like, 
you got to move now. You, you, you can't. But in in PC games, you usually can tell them to execute that. That right. That you, flank get, you get mythical. March. You get mythical faster than light information transfer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because that that's really the thing, isn't it? There's there's in, in real battles, you know prior to the, the, the modern age, they had just no information. It was so much guesswork and, and reacting in that split second when you realize or when you see something, and it's almost too late. Um, yeah. Whereas when you've got a, a computer game, you're seeing everything so long before it's happening. You have, even if you've got fog of war, you're still seeing this giant map very clearly. And it's well, not just a representation of the map. It is the literal battlefield. Rob, what was that Civil War game that we played that, was had lots of flaws, but one of the cool things it did was was sort of modeling that, sort of sending the runner off. Oh, had to have been of War or uh, Take Command. It, it might have been Take or, Command. You know, I mean, I, there have been cheap yeah. attempts to model that. It doesn't really work. It doesn't make it a particularly fun game. Well, I, I think the reason it doesn't entirely work in like Take Command and, and Scourge of War is that the AI only sort of works all the time. Like you need that failsafe. The player needs to be able to step in and straighten stuff out, or else you have a situation where you lost the battle or the because AI the has AI to be just really off. good. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of a a tricky limitation to handle. Uh, but yeah, that's that. There are people I know who do play, and particularly in a multiplayer community, and I've always wanted to do this, is where you play with the constraint of. Um, you can only give orders and communicate with each other through couriers. You can only send little type messages to each other via a courier riding along the road. And if that courier dies, then the message never gets passed along. Um, which is, I think, also how the Panther Games uh, series works. Another one that uh, I really want to re- visit at some point. So that's really um, that's role playing, really. When it comes to yeah, it's because you're you're it's creating these, trying to... these restrictions. Yeah, and I, I think they can be pretty pretty nifty uh restrictions um but yeah they are not they are not so popular in pc wargaming uh as nearly as i can tell but i think that is one reason that you know like around a lot of the great generals like you know a lee or a napoleon there's kind of this uh, idea of there being this dream team of sub officers around them right like we have napoleon's marshals uh you know there's lee's lieutenants there's in fact a series called lee's lieutenants which is the most ridiculously pro-southern uh uh series on civil war that i think i've ever encountered <laughs> but definitely kind of tries to explain why it's not just this one general and this one genius that animates this army, it's this entire, like, team that works together to sort of give, like, give the generals animating spirit, get that throughout the army, uh, which is interesting because it does sort of play out that way, if you, you know, in the historical record. You know, like, Napoleon's army is never quite as good as it is in the early 1800s or mid, or, or the, the middle part of the uh, first decade of the 1800s. Um, the Austerlitz and, and Jaina armies is, is probably one of his strongest, and uh, it, be, it begins to fall apart as various commanders are, you know, age out or uh, get killed. And the same thing happens with the Confederacy. Um, the attrition takes its toll, and you lose you lose the sub commanders you need. But it's it's an inter- it's an interesting problem, and I'm not sure there are that many games that have handled it that satisfactorily. But it's, it's something I I wanted to look at because it does seem like um, well, it's just something that doesn't come up that often, particularly in PC games. Um, it seems like there's a little more interesting stuff happening on the board game front when it comes to command. I think my 
the, the kind of core of my issue with with uh, how generals are represented in, in games uh, or PC games is that I'm really, really greedy. I want so much more than just them to be worrying about war. I want them to be dealing with um, all of these other elements that, that uh, you know, from like trade to diplomacy, logistics. Yeah. yeah, like supply lines. I want it really all. And I know that's greedy because then you've got to, you know, you, instead of focusing on one system, you're kind of spreading yourself a little thin. I think some games manage it well, but then they, they end up leaving, like, um, the logistics completely to the player. And then the generals aren't really interacting with them. Um, but then, it, for me, it actually that makes me feel more like the general again because it's something we were talking about earlier. Yeah. We never really feel like the general; we're controlling them. Um, right. It's so like the AGR games. You know, they've got some fun supply lines and logistic shenanigans, and I really like interacting with them. Um, and was it um, Hegemony? Hegemony's got quite because yes. we we did that show in Hegemony, and it was uh, you know it's a lot of fun to to mess around with all this this kind of cobweb. Of, uh, of supply lines that spread all across Europe. Um, and it, it just gives you more to think about. And I think generals are not solely focused on just battles. There's so much more to it. And I, I, it's, yeah. it's infrequently represented in games. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, you know, you're preaching to the choir. Like, I have a deep and abiding love, a, a true love for logistics yeah. and its, its role. And there aren't a lot of games that, that I think take a, take a big interest in that for good reason. Uh, a lot of people find it boring. Well, and I mean, not only are there no games that very few games that deal with logistics, but then tying in a leadership system to, to also deal with logistics doesn't seem like. Yeah, there's, I can there's none that I can example. think of where the actual generals interact with these supply lines uh, rather than uh, you just setting them up. Right, because then you'd be then you'd be taking uh, you know somebody who's really good at making sure that you're getting good supply and saying, well, I got to get this guy. There. I mean, well, I'd, that point, I'd like, like that the, game. This that would game be interesting. maker, like a headquarters management sim, where it's like <laughs> yeah. you know, like you know, General Marshall really wants to go out in the field, but sorry, General, you have to you have to command the supply train, the supply lines. <laughs> but you've got pa- uh, you've got paperwork to do. Get back to your desk. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's something you definitely don't see very often. Is you begin taking these little use systems and start slamming generals into them, you know, uh, things like logistics. Um, that would be, that would definitely be interesting. Something to uh, something to consider. Interesting is one word for it. <laughs> don't hate, don't hate. You're why we can't have nice things. Military administrator sim. <laughs> You'd laugh, but I think it'd be a no, fascinating. I, I would game. love it. That would be really. It would be a fun experiment at the very least. Uh, so I think that about does it for our discussion of commanders and war games and strategy games. Uh, as always, my thanks to the panel for the great conversation, and my thanks to our producer, Michael Hermes, for making it sound like we had a great conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week with, with more moves ahead. Uh, until then, this is Rob Zachney, and I am quitting the field, as a commander does. Bye, all. Does 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 Michael put on like a smarts filter or something? It's like one of those plugins that. You... Yeah, well, we eliminates half of what we say, uh, and then eliminates the awkward pauses. So <sighs> it just good. sounds like we are just scintillating, brilliant people. Perfect. <laughs>